Uh, I'm normally found behind a piano, but this morning they've let me out. Um, It's always good as a preacher to come up um, knowing that, to be honest, my sermon has already been preached for me. So thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Fiona. Thank you, Claire. Um, But even so, I'm going to preach anyway. So you've got me. Um, Just to kind of orientate ourselves in terms of where we are in terms of series and where this fits in with everything, we're taking a break from the leadership um, series that we've been doing. Andrew is going to finish that one next week, I think. Um, So I'm kind of coming at the end of the the mini-series we've had on our church character. So the four character words, courageous, genuine, thankful, and generous. And really what I want to kind of do with this sermon is just to encourage us to pause for a moment and just to think about where we are um, and then to come to Jesus again at the end. And I'm going to be talking to, well, I've really got two kind of particular groups in mind for this. I've got the guys, you may be, you may be in this group, you may be in... Uh, the other group, you may not actually be in either group, but I, I hope what I'm going to say is going to have some relevance to all of us. The guys that are turning up here today, just turning up, who are struggling, who are finding life a bit of a challenge, who are finding their Christian life a bit of a challenge. So that's the kind of first, first group. And then the other group that I already had on my heart as I was preparing this was those that are stepping out, who you feel that God is put something on your heart, but it's a bit risky. And you're not sure um, which way to decide. So we're going to be in Joshua, Joshua 3 this morning. Um, If you can turn there. Um, I'm not going to read it all up at the beginning because I've got quite a lot. But we're going to kind of be basing ourselves around the story. It's going to be familiar to many of you. Um, So Joshua 3 verse 1 starts, Then Joshua rose early in the morning... And they, that is the Israelites, set out and they came to the Jordan, um, which is a river. He and all the people of Israel, they lodged there before they passed over. So I'm going to stop there. I'm going to give us a bit of background because we're kind of jumping in really kind of halfway through, more than halfway through a story. Joshua uh, is the new leader of a group of people called the Israelites. Um, And he'd just taken over from a guy called Moses, uh, who'd been leading the Israelites for around 40 years. Uh, Before Moses, the the Israelites, who were originally from Palestine, uh, that's modern-day Israel, had lived in Egypt for around 300 years. They'd originally migrated down to Egypt as guests of the Egyptian king and prime minister, a guy called Joseph, who was also an Israelite. Now, how Joseph went from kind of a Palestinian nobody to the second most important person in the most important power of the day is a story that I'm not going to tell you this morning. You'll have to read it for yourself. It happens at the end of Genesis. Um, Just to say that at the time that the Israelites moved down to Egypt, they were relatively few in in number, uh, basically just the members of Joseph's immediate family. But over the next 300 years, that changed and they increased quite substantially in number. And as they did that, they fell out of favor with their Egyptian hosts until they were eventually enslaved and put to making bricks. And it's at this point that Moses enters the story. 
Now, Moses has a pretty unlikely backstory. He was an Israelite, but he'd been adopted by an Egyptian princess. He obviously retained some pride in his Israelite identity because early in his story, we see him forced to flee Egypt after murdering an Egyptian slave master who he'd witnessed beating an Israelite slave. And in exile, Moses was a shepherd. He looked after his father-in-law's sheep. And it's into that kind of quiet life that God appears and commissions him to return to Egypt and lead the Israelites out of slavery. Now, Moses was not particularly happy about this turn of events. He's actually pretty old at this point, uh, probably around 80, um, and that, which is about two-thirds through his eventual lifespan. So that's two-thirds of his life that Moses had lived without any expectation of being called into leadership. And I think he liked the quiet life. We know that Moses suffered from a speech impediment, and it's actually something he would use as an excuse as why God shouldn't choose him to go back and get, to get Israel out of Egypt. And I think being around sheep would obviously avoid the embarrassment that speaking to people would bring. Yet despite this, here was God asking Moses, an 80-year-old man with a speech impediment, to go to the Egyptian court and demand the release of the Israelites. It was not an act that was likely to make him popular. Yet despite this backstory, Moses would lead the Israelites out of Egypt in the face of opposition from the Egyptians and, to be honest, some initial skepticism from the Israelites themselves. He would go on to lead them for the next 20 years, uh, 40 years. Just as a side here, as I kind of come through that introduction, and we all know, according to Andrew, that the introduction doesn't count in my, uh, in my time, so... <laughs> Um, Joseph and Moses were pretty unlikely leaders. But God used them beyond anything that could humanly have been expected of them. And maybe that's a story that you can identify with this morning. Maybe like Moses, you're feeling old this morning. You don't have to be old. You might just be feeling old. I know I feel old most days. Having three children under five does to you. Or maybe you're embarrassed or ashamed by something in your past and you feel that that disqualifies you from being a part of God's plan. And if the stories of Joseph and Moses tell us anything, it is that God can use anyone to do great things. And anyone includes all of us here this morning. So back to where we started. God's promise was not just to release the Israelites from slavery, but to... Uh, bring them up to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God's promised blessing was not just a life out of slavery, but life in a land they could call them their own, an abundant life, a life of blessing. So the Israelites leave Egypt, and after stopping for a while to allow God to lay down some rules by which they were to live in relationship with him, they started their journey Now, for the sake of brevity, again, I'm going to skip some details here. Um, But ultimately, the Israelites ended up walking around for 40 years before God led them into their new home. Moses actually died before entering that land, which is why Joshua was appointed their leader. And that brings us back to the start of the story today. So I'm going to read Joshua 3 and 1 to 6. Early in the morning... 
Joshua and all the Israelites set out and went to the Jordan, where they were camped before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And Joshua said to, the, said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. <coughs> so this is it. This is the moment the Israelites have been waiting for since leaving Egypt for 40 years. They are finally to cross the River Jordan and enter the land that God has promised to them. Feelings of excitement must have been mixed with uh, nervousness and maybe relief that they'd finally made it. I mean, think about it. The Israelites have been walking around through a desert for 40 years. They'd left many of their number in the desert, including Moses but also parents, brothers, sisters. And I ask, how, how easy would it for them to have been to give up during that journey? How many days did the average Israelite wake up with nothing more than endless desert to look forward to and think, why am I bothering? Why did we leave Egypt in the first place? So here's my first point. And that's the most important battle in our Christian lives is is just to turn up. The Israelites put themselves in a position to enter the promised land and the abundant life that God offered because they continued to turn up. They walked on until they got there. They didn't always do it willingly or gracefully. Quite the opposite, in fact. In fact, much of the time they seemed to be grumbling. But they got there. In spite of it, they continued to turn up. They remained obedient to God's call on their lives. So my question is, have you come here today tired? Have you come here today in pain, disenchanted with life, disenchanted with church, wanting desperately to reach some place of blessing, but only looking out at desert? I've certainly had days like that. Around seven years ago, Amy and I decided we wanted to start a family. Now, that was a decision that didn't come particularly easy to me. I am something of a control freak. I like tidiness, and I like sleep. (laughs) Now, those of you who are parents will realize that they are three things that do not mix well with having children. But I'd worked through that, and we'd come to a point where we wanted to be parents. We thought we were ready. But then something I assumed would be easy getting pregnant, turned out to be a two-year wait. That's not a major amount of time compared to some, but it's enough time to start wondering if there was something wrong. It's enough time to wait when many of your friends are having children. And I mean some friends that had sworn they would never have kids, and they were having children. It's enough times for feelings of frustration, of disappointment, of failure, to kick in. It's enough time for my faith to wobble, for doubt to set in. It was a time when some days I didn't want to be around people, let alone at church. It was hard to continue to turn up. And by the grace of God, we did. And eventually we had a little girl, 
and then very quickly afterwards, another little girl, and then a little boy. And I am no longer in control, I'm no longer tidy, and I have no sleep. <laughs> but it's great. Your story will be different, but I'll wager all of us here have had days when simply turning up is a challenge. Turning up to church or to life group or to that thing you said you would serve at but now really wish you hadn't. Turning up to be there for your spouse, your children, your friends, your colleagues. Turning up to follow Jesus in all of the small mundane decisions that we make every day. So to all of you here that are going through a time when turning up is difficult who have maybe misplaced the joy of following Jesus somewhere in life's long slog, I just want to say well done this morning for being here and keep going. Because every time we choose to turn up and not to go and hide under a rock, we win a little bit more ground for the kingdom of God. So if you're here today in spite of pain or hurt, discouragement, disappointment, doubt or worry, you are being courageous And in your commitment to following Jesus, in your obedience, you are claiming ground for the kingdom of God, forcing back the darkness. You are, as Paul says in his letters to the Philippians, stars shining in this generation. Let's go back to Joshua, standing with his toes on the banks of the Jordan. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 14. So when the people broke camp... To cross the Jordan. The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is in flood all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry land in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry ground. Imagine what that was like. You've been walking for decades around a desert. The leader who'd led you through all that time is dead, and his deputy has taken up the reins. You don't yet know how he's going to turn out. And then you find yourself on the bank of a river in flood, knowing that you need to cross it to enter the land that you've been told has been promised to you. What are you thinking? Are you excited that the day's finally arrived? Are you worried about what comes next? Not just the river, but there are people the other side of the river, and they're not likely to take too kindly to you trying to take their land. Are you sad, thinking of all the people you've lost along the way, wishing they were here? Do you wish Moses was still around? At least he had a history of crossing water. He did it in style. And here's my second point. Eventually turning up will lead to a point of stepping out. Eventually turning up will lead to a point of stepping out. The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant... The priests that have been turning up to carry that ark around for for decades, they approach the water and they step in. And they step out into the Jordan. The water stops and the Israelites walk across on dry land. And I think we have a tendency to look back at these old, great Old Testament adventures and take them for granted. But what, what were those priests feeling? 
By any human measure, they were taking a risk, not just to themselves, but to the ark, which is a precious symbol of God's presence with Egypt. But they took the risk. They stepped out. We all reach a point at some time in our lives when God asks us to step out, to step out into something beyond our comfort zone. Let me share an example from my own journey. While I was at university, which is far too long ago now, I, I helped to lead a student alpha course. And now, now that was a pretty major step out in itself. I'm, I'm not by nature a people person. In fact, I'm the exact opposite. Uh, I am an introvert. I enjoy spending time on my own. But, you know, it was university. You're supposed to do slightly mad things there. Um, so uh, I volunteered to help lead this alpha course. The first positive to come out of this was that one of my co-leaders would be the, was the future Mrs. Rowland. But I have another very specific memory from the first Alpha course I did that uh, I've carried with me ever since. I'd invited a couple of the guys I was living with along to the course, and one of them had agreed to come on the Holy Spirit weekend. Uh, For those that don't know Alpha, the Holy Spirit weekend, or sometimes it's just a day, is the part of the course where the guests are introduced to the work of the Holy Spirit. It's often the most powerful part of the course as God moves in on the lives of the guests. So, so me and my friend were there. It was after one of the talks, and God gives me a very clear word that I know is to speak to my friend. Uh, at first, I try to dismiss it. And then I try to ignore it. But it gets to the point where I'm faced with a choice. To use the imagery of the story in Joshua, do I stay on the banks of the Jordan, or do I step out? Now, in the end, I stepped out. I spoke those words over my friend, and he gives his life to Jesus there and then. It feels great. But you know what? That's not actually happened to me again. In fact, over the last decade or so, if anything, I've become more cautious about speaking out about my faith. I've become more cautious about stepping out and taking risks for God. And there are good reasons for that. At least in my own head, they're good reasons But I'm missing the wonder that comes when you do step out and realize that God's there. Now I wonder if there are people here today who are at the point of decision, step out or stay put. Like the Israelites, you may have been journeying for years through a desert, faithfully turning up, but now you've reached a river and are wondering, do I step in? Will I sink? God may have been there in the past, But now you're wondering if he's still around. So let's go back to Joshua. We've seen what happened. The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant stepped into the river. The river stopped flowing. The people went across on on dry land. But but who? Let's focus on the who for a minute. It was the, the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant. Let's split that up again and say it was the priests... One and two, they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Who were the priests? Well, the priests were people. People like you and people like me. They had a very specific function to play within Israelite society, but under all the slightly odd clothing, they were human. Now, what was the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark was the symbol of God's presence with Israel. It contained the words of God inscribed on on two tablets as given to Moses much earlier on in the Israelites' journey. Now, here's the point. 
When the priests stepped out into the Jordan, they were carrying God with them. What does that mean for us today? There's no Ark of the Covenant anymore. Instead, through the, through the Holy Spirit, we carry God around with us inside our own bodies. Paul calls our bodies temples, places where God dwells. Peter calls us a royal priesthood. So when we're confronted with a situation that requires us to step out, we can be absolutely sure that we're not stepping out alone. We are stepping out with God, always with God. Even when we don't feel him, we aren't sure where he has gone, we are with him. He is with us because he is in us. Now are you stepping, being called to step out today? Are you holding back because you aren't sure about the risks, maybe haven't felt God recently? Here's the promise from the story. God is with you. If you take nothing else from this morning but those four words, that's okay with me. God is with you. So turning up, stepping out, two different stages in our our Christian journey. If you're in the turning up phase, keep going. You are courageous. And you are winning ground for the kingdom of God. And if you're thinking it's time to step out, know that God is with you. Now those observant ones among you will notice that I've missed out a chunk of chapter 3. So let's go back from verse 9. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hevites, Hittites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its water flowing down streams will be cut off and stand in a heap." And then flick forward to chapter 4, verse 1. Then the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan. The Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. I don't know how good you are at remembering the good things God has done for us, for you, for this church. I don't know how good you are at giving thanks for what God has done for you. I'm okay at this when times are okay. I find it much more difficult when times are hard. But of course, the hard times are the times when remembering past blessings, forgiving thanks for past blessings is most important. Throughout the Exodus account, 
We read of the Israelites setting up piles of stones or altars to remind themselves of what God has done for them. We see that here at the end of the story. More poignantly, the festival of Passover reminds Jews, even today, of what God did for them in bringing them out of Egypt. In today's digital age, driven by social media and temporary celebrity, quick fixes, we need to cultivate a culture of remembrance within ourselves and within our church. It's one of the reasons we need to spend time in worship, because worship points our gaze away from ourselves and towards God. The same is true of communion, which points us to Jesus and his work on the cross, and indeed to the testimonies that we heard earlier. They remind us of the goodness of God, the one who is always with us. So just a final point, and with this I'll come into land. Let's go back to the Jordan again. And the priests and the Ark of the Covenant about to dip their toes in the water. We've seen how this is a picture of God with man going on an adventure, but there's another layer of meaning that we can peel back. See, when the priests carried God's words with them, in that act, I think we can see Jesus. We can see Jesus, who the author of Hebrews calls our great high priest. We can see the Jesus who the Apostle John called the Word of God. Jesus priest and Jesus word, together in one man, one perfect man who many years into the future would stand on the banks of that same river. Who would dip his toes in the Jordan, but this time the waters wouldn't stop. And he'd wade in and he'd be baptized. And in that act, as Jesus disappears into the waters of the Jordan, we see another picture. A picture of Jesus disappearing again, but this time into a tomb, dying in my place so that I can cross the river and enjoy the promised land and enjoy life in abundance. And so in this picture, the cross becomes our pile of stones. The cross is our most perfect way of remembering what God has done for us. Whatever we're going through today, whether tragedy or triumph, the cross stands before us and tells of our Saviour's love for us. So whether you're turning up here this morning or whether you're stepping out, the cross is our reminder that Jesus loves you. So as Anthony said, don't focus on the battles. Focus on Jesus. Because he is the one, in you, with you, all the time, that will lead you safely home. And we're going to pray now. And I'd like to pray for two groups specifically. You'll probably guess who they are uh, if you've been listening to the sermon. I'd like to pray for those that are turning up today, who are finding life a challenge And who are wondering if it's still worth carrying on with this Christian life. And I'd like to pray for those who are stepping out. Who have reached a point of decision. And they feel God is telling them to go one way. And they're wondering whether they should. So let's bow our heads. And close our eyes.
And if you're in one of those two groups, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and take a step out now. And Father God, I just commit my brothers and sisters here today to you. Lord, if, they're, if they feel like they're just turning up, wondering what the point of this actually is, whether they're, focusing, uh, they're facing challenges, disappointment, discouragement, hurt, fear. Father God, I pray that you would place first and foremost a sense of your pleasure on them that they would know that you are pleased with them. They will know that in their, even in their very act of turning up here today, they are being courageous and that they are winning ground for the kingdom of God. That every day as they choose to continue to follow Jesus, they would know that that decision to carry on turning up is winning ground for the kingdom of God. And that the darkness will not stand against them, although it may feel like it now the darkness will not carry on standing against them forever. And so bless them. Stand with them today. And Lord, for those who feel like they're on, they've got two, two roads before them. They can either step out with you or they can carry on doing what they always do. And they're worried, they're concerned like the priests, they see this big flowing river in front of them. And they're wondering, is God going to do it again? Lord, impress upon their hearts that you are with them. That you cannot be anything but with them because they carry you through the Holy Spirit inside of them. And so when they do step out, you will be with them. Whatever that means, however that turns out, you will be with them. And Father, I just want to pray specifically for anyone here who might not have chosen to follow you yet, who might not call themselves a Christian, but is faced with that choice here today. Do I decide to follow Jesus or do I carry on? Lord, I pray that you would give them clarity and courage as they face that decision. Lord, for all of us here today, whatever we're going through. Help us to look to the cross every day, to lift our eyes up in worship of the one who came to save us. That we would remember the past things that you have done for us. Lord, we pray all these things only and ever in the name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come, fill us afresh again. Amen.